What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about the delicious, smooth, rich Strava Craft Coffee. Guys, you know the deal. Strava Craft Coffee is delicious coffee, and it also is infused with CBD, which helps with aches, pains, migraines, headaches, anything that's going on with your body. CBD helps ease the pain that's going on. In fact, CBD also helps if you get the coffee jitters, so it's the perfect coffee drink for you, and make sure to check them out online you use the code dnvr20 that magical code and you get 20 percent off your online purchase you can get k-cups for your keurig whole bean or ground so make sure to check out strava craft coffee i've got a cup myself right now put it over some ice this morning and it is perfect so use that code dnvr20 for 20 percent off your online purchase all right mace let's hop into the show Welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this terrific Thursday edition. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into this fun show, I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. Guys, MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver has over 40 online and hybrid programs in 750 classes. So go to msudenver.edu slash online to see all they have to offer. And we actually have some testimonials for you guys because uh, we actually have some people in DNVR taking classes at MSU Denver online because of just how good of an education it is. Uh, the courses are highly relevant. They don't mess around uh, they give you the real world information that you need because a lot of the professors are actually working in the field so they know what you need to know about it. It's convenient um, being online. They give you the tools that you need for when you get out of the classroom, exactly what you need in the real world. So guys, make sure to check out MSU Denver online at msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace! What is up, my friend? Oh, not much. How you doing today, Zach? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, Mace. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Although, I know one place that I won't be seeing you over the next few months. <laughs> and that's the Broncos locker, locker room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. More details coming out. Just about exactly how this season is going to look. Not just for us, Mace. Uh, but for the players, for fans, lots of news coming out. And, I mean, mm -hmm. it's about time, Mace. Rookies report are supposed to report, I should say. In less than two weeks, you have vets that are supposed to report. Uh, in less than three weeks now, I mean, the countdown is on. And I feel like every couple days we see a tweet from a player saying, still thousands of unanswered questions. Just got off a phone call with the NFLPA. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and they don't know anything. How am I supposed to move my family across the country? How are we supposed to be playing football? Uh, but we, we find out little bits of information, but there's still so much missing. Yeah, there is. Like, for example, uh, one piece uh, that is being discussed is face shields for players. <laughs> Good luck. J.J. Watt, for example, says he doesn't want that. He talked about how he had a visor on back in 2012, and he said, quote, I had on for about three periods of practice. I said, take this sucker off or I'm, I'm going to die out here. So now you're going to put something around my mouth. You can keep that. If that comes into play, I don't think you're going to see me on the field. And this, I mean. Wait, wait, of, wait. What was that last part? I, you, if that, if wearing a face shield comes into play, I don't think you're going to see me on the field. That is a quote from J.J. Watt, future Hall of Famer, J.J. Watt. I mean, that, that's, that's a huge statement right there. Right. Um, and uh, that isn't a player that, – that's kind of the opposite. You know, we expected players to be announcing that they're opting out in the next couple of weeks if any players are going to do that. The NFL and NFLP are trying to agree uh, on a date that players would do that. This is the opposite. This is saying if you make safety precautions, I won't be playing from, like you said, Mace, a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows how many issues have to be resolved quickly and why, to be perfectly frank, I question the ability of, these, of everybody to get these things done in time for an on-time start to training camp or certainly for rookies to report because there's, you mentioned players opting out. Well, is there going to be a deadline where if players – where players have to opt out and basically may have no penalty for their contract. Like for example, do they set a deadline of say July 26th to give everybody the freedom to opt out without having, without basically uh, having to lose a year, basically maybe they can say, okay, we'll put your contract on pause and we'll assume it next year. There are so many outstanding issues right now for player, for players in terms of of safety in terms of how things are going to be structured etc that I, I don't know if they can get them done and also you heard the I'm sure you heard about the 35 percent proposal that uh. was apparently floated by the league to take 35 percent of player salaries this year and put it in escrow and one thing we've heard in regards to that from both players and people at the NFLPA, including Don Davis, who uh, played for the Patriots, Rams, and Bucks back in the day, is that that's going to be a non-starter. Now, what's interesting about that, the escrow thing, and basically let the money kind of gain interest and pay players later, uh, that sort of resembles something you see in baseball quite often with deferred payments, but the player, NFL players are saying, yeah, that's a non-starter at this point. So, Mace, can you, can you explain uh, what that means and why that would benefit the NFL, why the NFL would maybe want to do that, uh, and why players would not want that? You know, players, uh, players, you know, they want the money now, and they figure, okay, if we're going to get paid, if we're going to play fully, then we want to get paid fully at this point. For some players, they maybe need the money right now. Others feel like they, they can invest it better uh, right now. Uh, what this would do is it would allow for a little bit of I wouldn't a little bit of wiggle room for teams when they're staring down a scenario where they're facing a significant loss of revenue 
because uh, games are going to be at limited capacity or no capacity. And it looks, it looks likely right now that the best case scenario is going to be limited capacity based on what we're hearing this week. And we'll definitely get into that here in a little bit. So basically it just provides kind of a financial buffer, but there are a lot of complications and a lot of things that have to be worked on. For example, next year's salary cap is going to be tied to the revenue generated this year. So if you're facing a $3 billion loss of revenue, then there have to be mechanisms put in place to ensure that the salary cap doesn't have a commensurate drop next year. Maybe it's going to be borrowing against future earnings from the television and streaming contracts. They're expected to kick in in 2022. That's something that's also on the NFL's plate to negotiate those. So maybe you don't get a huge bump in the salary cap on the, on the other side of the pandemic when those, when those contracts come in. Maybe it's sort of a gradual bump to, to a gradual rise in the cap to account for the money that's being lost this year. There are so many tentacles to this. For example, NFL owners are allowed to borrow $500 million this year, more than they were. Exactly. And again, borrowing it against money they expect to make in the future from the contracts that go for 2022 and beyond. Because I think even though the economy is, is struggling and could be struggling for a while, there is an expectation that they're going to make a lot of money on the contracts from 2022 and beyond that they'll have with ESPN, Fox, NBC, CBS. Potentially, you could see ABC, and you're going to have some streaming companies involved with it as well. So that certainly helps the league, and, and I think those contracts in the future are one reason why the players are saying, hold on here. <laughs> you don't really need to – put the money in escrow and cut our pay right now right. And the other thing to consider zach is if let's say they're talking about a 35 percent pay cut well then what if you have a shortened season and you're already cutting the pay commensurate uh, with the number of games played say you have to cut four games so 25 percent of the pay is already off then are you cutting 35 percent from the 12 games that guys are making money for. There are so many layers to this that unless they are able to have some kind of magical breakthrough here, I don't know if they're going to be able to start on time because there are just so many loose ends to all this. And Mace, one of the things that you said at the very end there was you're not sure they'll be able to start on time. What do you mean? You, you mean training camp where veterans are supposed to report July 28th? You're talking about rookies that are supposed to report one week earlier, July 21st? Or are you talking about the season, the very start of the actual NFL season? I'm, start, I'm talking first about the rookies in that date because that, that sits there in under a fortnight. And that may be a bridge too far, in part because you've got, you know, you got to have guys making plans. I mean, guys, guys want to book their flights. They've got to make their travel arrangements. Some, some players are probably, maybe they don't want to fly, fly commercially, and they, they'll just get in the car and drive from wherever. I imagine you're going to see some Broncos driving in from some far-flung places to, to get back in time for camp. Now, again, there could be a breakthrough, and we could end up getting the rookies in on time and having camp starting on time. But between all the, all the dangling threads uh, that are out there right now, and the players kind of digging in on some things. The players are, seem to be digging in on the notion of no preseason. The NFL 
wants a preseason, wants a preseason, at least half a preseason with two games. I see where the NFL is coming from because they want to have a dress, basically a dress rehearsal on game procedures that are going to look entirely different than anything that we've ever seen in the, in the NFL over the last 100 years. But at the same time is the risk of transmission of COVID-19 is that worth the reward of playing two preseason games, one, one for every team at home so they can get some of the protocols down right. And then you have J.J. Watt talking about not wanting to play with a face shield. There are just so, so, many, so many aspects to this. How are meetings going to look? Uh, there's an idea, but I don't think they're going to recommend that you have team-wide team meetings in, inside. So are they going to set, take everybody outside, set everybody up on the practice field? There just, there's so many aspects to this that, that I don't know if they – I think they'll resolve them. I just don't know if they're going to resolve them by the time the rookies are scheduled to arrive. Yeah, and the NFL did a fantastic job for months just saying it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, and they kind of let these other sports go into absolute chaos. And, of course, the MLB, uh, probably the the biggest one that went in chaos with uh, not just not being able to agree on how to bring the sport back, but then once they were getting close, they couldn't agree on the length of a season, they couldn't agree on the money, and everyone was saying, oh, man, look at this. The NBA, the NHL didn't have these issues. The, the, the NFL's not having these issues. Look how bad baseball's looking. Well, it, the NFL didn't have to make decisions back in big decisions like this back in May, back in April, back in March. They were smart to, to let it, other sports uh, get the blame, get the criticism, see how things played out. But if things don't change with the NFL and the NFLPA and all of these issues, Mace, that we're talking about uh, remain issues, then we're going to be talking about a similar uh, t- type of conversation going on that we had with the MLB just mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, even. And, and, and fans are going to get angry and it's, it's going to be frustrating because we're going to see basketball back by the end of this month. And we may not see training camp back by the end of this month. Um, I really think it's the next week uh, is going to be key. Um, not because I, I, I'm not concerned about when rookies report. It's all about when vets report. If rookies end up yeah. reporting same time as vets, oh, well. But you got to have you, you got to give people 10 days to make their travel arrangements, right? So mm-hmm. I would think by next Friday, one week from now pretty much, um, there should be a lot of these questions that are unanswered answered if we don't want to see a delay in training camp. And one of the things you mentioned, Mace, was preseason games. Yeah, that seems like it's a non-starter for the NFL players and mm-hmm. NFLPA. I don't think there's going to be preseason uh, because you, you've had so many players come out, including Brandon McManus, and say uh, there'll be one preseason game at the most. So. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. The goal and the hope, at least for me, is just have week one take place at at the the time it's supposed to happen. You hit the nail on the head a few podcasts ago when you said that preseason is a want, not a need. And everything needs to be focused on what you need right Right. now. You You need to find a way to get the games that count in. 
you, you don't need to have preseason. And I understand that there may be people on the league side who say, well, we've got to make sure we kind of go through things once and get it right. College football has been operating without a preseason since time immemorial. So it's not something you need. And if there is, and obviously there's going to be risk of COVID-19 transmission, even if you've got face shields, because guys are going to be in close contact with each other. They're going to be hitting each other. That's why I think the notion of not being able to change, to exchange jerseys, it's a little bit laughable when you think about it on the surface, because these guys are going to be ramming into each other for three hours, but then all of a sudden they can't exchange the jerseys. Well, I think well, the damage is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're 100 right, and I think we need a little bit of laugh in this serious yeah. conversation. And of course, Tom Pelissero put out on Twitter this morning what Mace is referring to. He said NFL teams will be forbidden from post-game interactions within six feet of each other, and jersey exchanges between players will be prohibited during the 2020 season. Sources say another way the NFL will look different in the COVID-19 world. Mace, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, considering, again, that they're going to be hitting each other uh, time and time again. Now, that being said, if they have face shields, then presumably what you're saying is, okay, well, they're not going to be kind of talking to each other and not having the, the aerosol spreading conversations and all, and all that. But it seems like it, the horse is already out of the barn, so to speak, because you've been – you've got sweaty bodies that are, that are you know, that are battering around uh, for th- – for, three hours for three and a half hours and uh yeah I mean I, I get it but it, it seems like the, the nature of football means you're going to have contact and you're going to have uh, you're going to have some risk anyway so the, the jersey thing seems like a little a little bit much and uh, avoiding being in contact with six within six feet so that means those prayer circles after the game they're going to take up like half the field <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have those- to have Literally two yards between every guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I understand what the NFL is doing with this, but it just comes across as absolutely ludicrous because um, maybe they don't want jerseys exchanged. Maybe they don't want players within six, six feet of each other uh, because COVID could be on a jersey. Like you said, uh, aerosol talking to each other it could get through each other but they're just spending three hours together exchanging hands on jerseys, touching each other in so many different places, including the jersey. Uh, and, of course, breathing on each other, sweating on each other. It's, it's just a weird look, and it's, it's getting all the laughs on Twitter just in the 29 minutes that this report has been out. Yeah, Vaughn Miller is probably going to be more disappointed than anybody else. Oh, because yes. he has the major jersey collection now. Maybe Vaughn can find a way to make sure that he's still able to have those exchanges after the fact. You know, maybe you know he say it's uh it's week three. He goes up to uh, Tom Brader. Maybe goes up to to Mike Evans because they're both A and M guys, and says, "Hey, you know, with with distancing, six feet of distancing says." hey, let's exchange jerseys, but we're just going to send them to each other in a couple of weeks here. Right, yeah. Something tells me that Vaughn will still find a way to make sure that his tradition of exchanging jerseys and his – you know what? He ought to display his jersey collection at some point. He (laughs) has to have the greatest collection of modern NFL jerseys in the world at this 
point, to the point where he could have his own little wing of, a, of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, of, of the jerseys that he's gotten through his exchanges, the point where his home probably looks a little bit like a mini Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'd like to see that. <laughs> Man, it is impressive. So Vaughn has two lockers uh, that, that are dedicated to him, and one of them is just full of jerseys that he's exchanged that season. Then at the mm-hmm. end of the season, he takes them home. He gets them framed, puts them in his in his man cave in the basement, uh, and then does it all again the next year. And of course, since he's Von Miller, he gets any jersey that he wants. It is it is very very impressive. And Mace, uh, some other news coming out surrounding what this season will look like is uh, we know mm-hmm. that some teams are starting to put limits on fans in the stands the Ravens released something yesterday yeah the Ravens released a plan that calls for their home games to be played at roughly 20 percent capacity that's four that's going to be 14,000 people inside their 71,000 seat stadium the Chiefs not as specific but they announced a plan that their first few games at least would be played at reduced capacity at Arrowhead Stadium. You have more and more teams that are starting to uh, offer their season ticket holders plans to opt out and maintain their priority and their seat place for future seasons when hopefully we're on the other side of this pandemic. So I think we're starting to see the reality of teams playing this season at limited or no capacity and so that, you know, that lends itself to a lot of questions. You know, what, you know, what are games going to look like and feel like with, say, 20% of the seats occupied and fans spread all around the stadium, not kind of compressed on the sidelines like at mile high when they have the state high school championship football games, but spread, you know, spread all over. Uh, what is that going to do for for crowd noise what is you know what is this going to do for you know for home field advantage you know is this going to help some players is it going to hurt other players and I think that's at least now we're seeing that that the NFL I mean they've probably been working on these plans uh, for a while but teams are really accepting that this is going to be the reality of of 2020 of the 2020 season the question I have Zach is that you still have myriad local laws like you have you know some places where you can have big gatherings and some places where you can't is there going to come a point where the league says okay the cap is 20 percent but what do you do if say Detroit says we have an indoor venue and we don't have a retractable roof and we can't open it up and we can't get people in inside what if you have the same thing in New Orleans with the Superdome? So there's, there's still some outstanding issues there, but at least we're getting some clarity, presumably some clarity for the Broncos as well. Yeah, and I, wanna, I want some ruling from the league on if each stadium is going to be able to hold as many fans as they're allowed by their local uh, rules and guidelines, or if the NFL will say, okay, every team – uh, is is allowed to have fans by their local guidelines. So we're going to cap it out by either a percentage of the stadium or each team can only have a certain number of fans. Or what if even just one team isn't allowed to have any fans? Will the NFL do what they did the entire offseason and say, we have to stand by the competitive advantage and make sure that the playing field is the exact same for everyone? They've showed that for months that that's the way that they're going to operate. I would think 
that that would trickle over to the to the regular season and if one stadium can't open for fans that none of them would be able to because let's face it mace even if some stadiums are able to open it's not going to be at full capacity um yesterday the baltimore Ravens said that they if they were even allowed to have fans they would cap it at fourteen thousand fans they have Mm -hmm. seventy one thousand fans in their stadium typically that is a drastic cut they're not really making money off that and because it is a a, um a league sharing profit. They, they share the profit across the league. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you have 14,000 fans in all the stadiums, it, that's not going to be a huge revenue loss. If the, if the NFL says, okay, we're just not going to have those 14,000 fans because we want to make it a fair uh, environment. So no team has a competitive advantage because let's face it, Mace, let's say some stadium has a half capacity stadium. That's a big advantage in terms of crowd noise. That's it. That's an unfair advantage over another team. So uh, if the NFL does that, uh, it makes sense to me, and and I'm all for it because it it wouldn't be fair for uh, home field advantage to actually uh, have a significant advantage. Yeah, and if they don't have a league wide protocol, then you're going to have some teams that have. Uh, a more distinct advantage over others. Now, one thing with the Broncos in this environment, if they, let's say the league says 20% across the board, the fact that the Broncos still have an advantage from playing at 5,280 means that the, the team will be able to retain some sense of an edge, even if the crowd noise with 14,000 fans, uh, it, or it would be 15,000, pardon me, if it's the 20% rule. Even if, the, even if that ends up being the case, the case and there's not as much noise because fans are, are relatively spread out, then, yeah, the Broncos would maintain something. So I would actually say that they have a little bit of an advantage here. But I can't – I'm with you, Zach. I can't imagine the NFL going on with a scenario where some teams can play at 50% and some teams can play at 20%. I wonder if Baltimore putting it out there uh, means that they've already been told that 20% is the number by the league. Right. Yeah, that very well could be it. That very well could be it. Uh, And I just wish it was something that we knew so that it didn't seem like there were so many unanswered questions. Um, The NFL is moving forward, though. Uh, even with so many questions unanswered, man, it seems like at least the 40 minutes we've been doing this pod, Mace, just more mm-hmm. information keeps rolling out, rolling out, rolling out yeah. uh, from Ian Rappaport um, that coaches and players won't be required to wear masks on the sidelines, but okay. everyone else in the bench area has to wear a mask. So it's going to look different. It's going to look very different now. Uh, if players don't have to wear masks on the sidelines, then that may make me think that J.J. Watt doesn't have to worry because they don't have to wear masks on the sidelines. They may not have to wear them on the field. Yeah, the face shield, like the, the plastic face shield, I think is what he was talking about because one of the things that uh, has been floated around, and I think you've seen the picture, Zach, is of, is of some kind of modified face mask shield kind of apparatus that they wear on the field. Yeah, which basically would make them all look like stormtroopers. <laughs> which yeah. there are a lot of issues there. I mean, you can just think of the issues for the quarterback, for example, in terms of vi- in terms of field vision, unless you've got oh, like yeah. cameras, literally cameras in there, and you're looking at what the cameras <laughs> reveal. But that's, I mean, there there are uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of issues now. Uh, 
one thing like on the face mask we're just talking about just the face mask like we're all wearing right now um and i think it's interesting that the players if they're not playing won't have to put on a mask like i'm sorry but jeff driscoll He's he's gonna be in uniform, but it doesn't mean he's gonna be playing. Should I mean Jeff Driscoll should wear a mask, okay? <laughs> if if, uh, if the guy, if the people who aren't playing on the sideline, when like so the, everyone else on the bench area, you're talking about you know equipment staff, training staff, etc. Uh, it should be basically to me, if you're gonna make this rule, it should be anyone who is who is not actively playing or coaching uh, should wear a mask so like inactive players will wear a mask but no what's the harm in brandon mcmanus wearing a mask and then taking it off when he goes on the field to kick (laughs) right right and this (laughs) this last one that we'll talk about uh just coming in from ian rapaport mace could have some very big implications he says the pregame screening will be important anyone with bench access will be screened before entering the stadium Anyone who records a temperature at or above 100.4 degrees or may have been exposed, quote, shall not be permitted to enter the stadium on game day. Can you imagine if a star quarterback or a star pass rusher or a star receiver on any team, I don't even want to mention one on the Broncos, goes into the stadium, records 101 temperature, and you find out four hours before game time that they are no longer able to play in the game. Wow. Well, I mean, let's – okay, let's just put on the Chiefs, and let's say <laughs> it's Chiefs-Broncos, mile high, big, big, big game in October. Patrick Mahomes, they take his temperature. Beep. 100.6. Mm. Not, 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 not just not allowed on the sideline, not allowed to play, not allowed in the stadium. Now, here's where it's going to get interesting because I'm sure we'll see this. There will be players who probably a couple of hours before they're going to go to the stadium. If they're not sure about their temperature, watch. They'll just down a couple of Tylenol or a couple of Advil or something. Right. Right. To make sure, so maybe they to make sure they can play. So, unless you are severely symptomatic, there are going to be ways around this for a lot of players. And I imagine a lot of them might just do just that. Just a couple, you know, some acetaminophen, make sure that temperature is below 100.4, and and that's it. Of course, what's that? If you're at 100.2, you know, technically it's still a low grade fever. So right. Right. And of course, then you have, and the other thing is, while this can help, you still have a significant percentage of, of the people that have the novel coronavirus that are asymptomatic carriers. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly, Mason. Oh, man. I hope we're talking about football and only football soon because the NFL figures this out very, very soon. Yeah. One more thing, and it's from another sport, but I think it's, it's worth noting because Major League Soccer, of course, came back this week here with its tournament at Disney World. But you already have two teams that have pulled out of the proceedings because of positive coronavirus tests. First, FC Dallas this morning, Nashville SC announcing that it has pulled out. So the question I have for you, Zach, is what does the NFL do if, say, 
if say, let's just throw a team out there, a random team, the Cardinals have, and, I'll, and I, it's not really random because of how coronavirus is spiking down Arizona, but the Cardinals have say 15 positive tests. Right. And is there going to be a threshold at which the league says, okay, you have this many active cases on your team. So there's some significant spread. So we don't want you playing. And then you start creating a scenario where, you know, some teams may have, maybe will play 14 games. Some will play 13 or 12. And it's easy to then at the end of the season, determine, you know, make a determination on standings. You just go by winning percentage, but it does open a Pandora's box here. Yeah, that definitely opens a Pandora's box. I can only imagine the fan bases uh, just being so furious that, you know, a team with a better winning percentage but with less wins got into the playoffs over a team who had more wins. Man, yeah. it, it's it's going to create so – a situation like that would be, would be wild. Or, Mace, uh, just look at the NBA uh, right now as well. There's been multiple – franchises including the Denver Nuggets that have had to shut down their practice facility right. uh, for like a week or 10 days before even going down to the bubble we know that the NFL is not going to be doing a bubble so what happens if in training camp or if in the regular season a team is forced to shut down their facility for a week a 10, 10 days if it's during training camp uh, is the NFL going to say okay every team has to close down their training facility the NBA did not do that the NFL, I don't know if the NFL would go that far with the competitive advantage, but then you, you are losing the competitive advantage. So, I mean, there's going to be so many things for the NFL to weigh here. Oh, yeah, and I don't think they will go that far. I mean, I think it's one thing to say, okay, everyone can have no more than this amount of fans in the stadium. But it's another thing to say, well, we've got an outbreak with the Houston Texans. And they're going to have to shut down training camp for two weeks. So, sorry, everyone can't practice. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we are going to see some competitive advantage issues coming up because I can't imagine, based on what we've seen from MLS, MLB, and the NBA, I can't imagine we're going to be in a scenario where every team is going to pull off their training camp without a hitch. I imagine there will be at least a few teams that have to put their camp on pause and everybody's already lost OTAs and the first few weeks of camp are going to be in small groups with distancing. So uh, you're going to, whatever team that happens to is going to be severely behind the eight ball. And another thing, as you get into the regular season and you end up saying, okay, we're going to go by win percentage and that's it. Well, take the Broncos. What if they're about to play the Miami Dolphins and the Miami Dolphins have an outbreak and that game is canceled? Well, you're losing a game that, frankly, you expected to win. So that's going to have a significant impact on your winning percentage at the end of the year. And then, you know, let's say the Broncos are fighting. Let's say the Broncos are are fighting with the – Let's say that the Chargers for a wild card spot and the Broncos lose a game with the Dolphins, but the Chargers lose a game against the Chiefs or the Saints or the Bucks with Tom Brady. And 
that ends up being the difference in the Chargers maybe getting one more win or having a, a win percentage because the game they the game that was scrubbed from their schedule was one that they were likely to lose, and the one that was scrubbed from the Broncos schedule was a game they were likely to win. There are so I mean that's the thing. Like the more you dive into this, Zach, the more that, that we are just going to have to accept some degree of dysfunction if we're going to have football this year. Right, right. Yep, exactly, 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 Mason. Man, we just hope at the end of the day that we're talking about a 16-game football schedule that starts in the beginning of September. But, Mace, there's places that you, you don't have to hope that sports are back. There's sports back, and this weekend, Fight Island is finally here. This weekend, of course, UFC 251 is set to be the best yet, with big names stepping into the octagon all throughout the night. This is a bet you don't want to miss, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. This week only, DraftKings is offering all new users a special odds boost on the weekend's headline fight. Bet $20 to win $100 on either fighter that's incredible and on top of fight island we have golf european soccer and DraftKings has you covered for every single thing going on and for the big fight this weekend DraftKings is offering all users not one but two profit boosts when you place a bet on ufc 251 guys DraftKings is incredible with all the special deals and promotions they run uh and it's i mean it's every time and here is another opportunity this weekend so just place a pre-match bet on a fighter and if they win your payout increases and another awesome thing about DraftKings is they are based in the U.S. making it safe secure and reliable and you can deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want and to top it off DraftKings Sportsbook is offering the best sign-up offer to date right now. You don't want to miss this. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, new users can get a no-brainer odds boost on the headline fight this Saturday. Bet $20 and win $100. That's right. No matter who you pick this weekend on Fight Island, your odds will be boosted to $200 to win $100. So head to DraftKings Sportsbook now and sign up with the code DNVR. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Ah, if you're betting on Fight Island, you know, whether you win or lose, you're going to have a good time if you're watching the fights over the course of the weekend. And uh, a way to make sure that you've got got a really good time happening is having some good beer on hand and of course what could be better than Breckenridge Brewery the official beer of DNVR with a myriad of offerings for any taste strawberry sky Colorado core avalanche beer hop peak uh, whatever you like I mean I like strawberry sky because I like that infusion of fruit in my beer Uh, maybe you're an IPA person Breck's got you covered there as well and if you just like all flavors, all flavors of beer, all manners of beer, try their 15-can sampler. You can get that, of course, through Drizzly. You can also uh, go over to David, our friends over at Davidson's Liquors in Centennial and Highlands Ranch and pick that up. And, of course, you could even uh, uh, get that at Breckenridge Brewery at the Farmhouse because the, the Farmhouse, their restaurant, is still open. You can use that magical code, DNVR, get $5 off. And, of course, I mean, you can have – 
you can have a tremendous meal at the farmhouse. It is, I, I think of it as pub grub elevated to a higher level. My family uh, has been over there, had some great meals. Of course, I've been with the crew at DMVR as well over to the, the farmhouse. You can, heck, you can have a dinner of just apps. Their apps are that good, that sensational. If you want to pick up from the farmhouse, 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m., they'll bring your order out to your car for you. They do have seating. They are open. I would advise calling for calling 303-803-1380 for reservations to make sure that you can get in, get your time set. But, hey, the farmhouse and Breckenridge Brewery, they're, friend, they're friends of ours. We hope they'll be friends of yours as well. And if you're not in the Denver area and you still want Breck Brews, make sure you use that Breck Beer Locator on their website. That's breckbrew.com. You can find Breckenridge Brews nearby almost anywhere in the United States. I was actually uh, uh, looking on the east coast of Florida for, uh, for my brother to, to tell him to try some of the Breckenridge Brew's finest ales. So Breckenridge Brewery, make sure you yeah, check them out. That's breckbrew.com, the official beer of the NBR. All right, Mace, let's hop into the listener question, see what they have to say. True Champ Fan 24 says, Mace, no country fried steak? I'm with Ryan here. It is just another way to prepare it. Cover it with your favorite type of gravy and good helping of mashed taters. It's the perfect meal. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's not that I've had bad country fried steak. I think the thing about it is, I always find that the cuts of beef aren't that great, so you have to country fry the steak to make it palatable. So Here. what do you think about uh, steak sauce on your steak, Mace? Mm, like, are we talking about regular steak or country fried steak? Well, regu- regular steak, because it, it kind of sounds like you're, you're going along the lines of, you know, if it's a good cut of meat, why would you do anything to it? Right, and in general, if it's a perfect cut of meat, I am not using any steak sauce, especially because the one steak sauce that I would want, I can't get over here. And that is the famous Yorkshire relish. Oh, Yorkshire. But relish. Yorkshire relish for me changes everything. everything. <laughs> I, I don't care if I have the greatest cut of filet mignon on my plate. I, if, if I have access to Yorkshire relish, I'm dipping it. Now, how expensive is Yorkshire relish? Well, if you're over in England, it's just kind of like A1 over here. It's affordable. Okay, but... okay, okay. <laughs> Man, that sounds like a game changer. It, it is for me, but not for everybody. But I grew up on it. It's just, you know, sometimes your your tastes are shaped by what you knew as a kid. And for me, that's one of those things with yours to relish. World of Suck. I'm thinking about Chiefs Kingdom's reign of terror that is upon us in the AFC and want to compare it to the Patriots' dominance. What kind of numbers would Drew Locke need to put up in the next couple of years to become better than any QB that Tom Brady had to face in the division? And Story Sauce follows up with, who is the best quarterback Brady had to compete with? The Jets, and he names Testaverde, Sanchez, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Bills, Drew Bledsoe, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill, Jay Cutler, Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Actually, what's interesting is that there is, for two of these teams, you can argue that one of them is the same answer and not named by Stoy Sauce, and that is Chad Pennington, who led ah. both the Jets and the Dolphins to the playoffs. Injuries cut his career short. I mean, not that Chad Pennington was a world beater, but he was a pretty good starting quarterback who 
if you go by quarterback wins, uh, had a pretty good ledger. But in general, he was a, a solid starting quarterback that if you had if you had the right players around him, you could win with Chad Pennington. I believe his career passer rating was 90.1 and uh, directed the Dolphins that 11 and five record in, in 08. The Jets had a couple of play. The Jets had a playoff appearance on, on his, actually a couple of playoff appearances, pardon me, with him as a starting quarterback before injuries caught up to him. So yeah, Chad, Chad Pennington may well be the answer just in general as the best quarterback other than Tom Brady in the AFC East over the last 20 years. And what I'll say about that is, yikes. Three teams could only yes. muster a Chad Pennington. I mean, the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, I, I love Fitz, but the fact that he could be mentioned with all three other teams just shows what it's at. But that could be good news for the Broncos because Chad Pennington, Mace, yeah, he wasn't bad but I mean was he was he bad well he had he had some good years uh in 2002 he had 22 touchdowns to six interceptions led the league with 104 (laughs) passer rating uh the Jets went eight and four uh then you look and I mean we're talking 13 touchdowns to 12 interceptions the following year one of his best years 16 touchdowns to nine interceptions the following year uh, 2006, 17 touchdowns to 16 interceptions. The next year, 10 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Then his other best year, 2008, 19 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Not, I mean, two good seasons there. Not a world beater by any means. I mean, at the end of the day, we'll probably be talking about Josh Allen and Sam Darnold being the best quarterbacks that the that the Patriots had to face in the Tom Brady era. And obviously those guys uh, still very early in their careers um, when, when uh, Tom left, but this gives the Broncos hope in my mind, because you, you hope that drew lock is better than Chad Pennington. Heck Derek Carr may be better than those Chad Pennington stats. Uh, and I mean, boy, I'm not on the Justin Herbert train, but even he could be better than Chad Pennington. And all three of those can combine to to hurt the Chiefs a bit. Well, you have to adjust for era, though. And if you go through the decade of the 2000s, 2000 through 09, he threw two passes in 2010. So I'm just going to kind of focus, rule that out and focus on the first decade in the 2000s. There were 105 quarterbacks league-wide that threw at least 300 passes. Tell me, among those 105, where Chad Pennington ranked in passer rating. Oh, boy. I'm, pro- I'm going to say his passer rating probably pretty high. I'm going to go he was number 22. 11. Oh, 11. Oh, yikes. How? How, Mace? How? <laughs> Well, passing in terms of efficiency and the emphasis on on short passing, uh, that has uh, rhythm passing and kind of and building up the rating. That has been a point of emphasis in the last decade. I, the game has it's it's interesting that the game has really changed at warp, warp speed in the last ten years. Now, part of it also, Chad Pennington, a, a very conservative quarterback was going to play within himself, within his skill set, but also an accurate quarterback. Among those, by the way, among those 105 quarterbacks, 
Do you know where Chad Pennington ranked in completion percentage? Where? In, from 2000 to 2009, number one, literally the best completion percentage of any quarterback with at least 300 passes in the first decade of this century. Holy smokes. That, that is absolutely wild. But, but Mace, Mace, here's – okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to play devil's advocate but here. No one's going to say he's an elite quarterback. I'm just saying no, because no, – no, of course, of course. Yeah, but um, I'm but, just saying he's probably better than a lot of people think, but – yeah. So he had well, and uh, very impressive stats uh, that that blows my mind. He had 102 career touchdowns to 64 career interceptions. But I did I did say he had two good years when he had 22 touchdowns to six picks and 19 touchdowns to seven picks. Take those mm-hmm. two seasons out, uh, and the other what 11 years he combined for 61 touchdowns to 51 interception so he was really I mean those two years kind of really skew his numbers a lot uh and uh, what happens if Tom Brady had to face a quarterback who in two years threw a combined 41 touchdowns to only 13 interceptions what happens if if Chad Pennington plays those two type of seasons throughout his entire career and what happens if two teams in the division had a Chad Pennington-like quarterback during those two years uh, for, for a decade. What happens if three teams had that? Uh, the Patriots, maybe they still win six Super Bowls. Maybe they still win the division. But I guarantee they'll have a couple more losses. So maybe instead of being first uh, or second and getting a first-round bye every year, maybe they're having to, to go on the road to play a playoff game. Uh, and, again, that, that's why, boy, you don't want Justin Herbert to become a very good quarterback. You don't want him to work out. You don't want the Raiders to get a Trevor Lawrence next year. Of course you don't want that. But it, it, by the other teams getting good, it would help uh, at least give the Chiefs another roadblock and not everything will, will rest on your shoulders. I don't know what's better, Mace. What, what's better? Do you want other good quarterbacks in order to help take the Chiefs down? Or do, do, do you only want one competition? I'm waving my arm right now like, no, no, no. <laughs> Obviously, you don't want don't Trevor want Lawrence, that. but don't you want like a Derek Carr who is very beatable but can, yes. can put up good games and you just hope <laughs> that those good games come against the Chiefs? Yeah, you want the Raiders and Chiefs to be no better than average with their quarterbacks because, and I'm this is first-person experience as a – Bucks fan as I point to my Buccaneer flags behind me in my office. The biggest issue for the Bucks in the last decade is that they have been in a division with one surefire Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, another in Matt Ryan, who is kind of starting to put together that Philip is putting together that Philip Rivers like career, except with more accuracy and better decision making, and has an MVP on his shelf to where when he ends his career, there'll be some discussion about him being a Hall of Fame candidate. He might be a Hall of Very Good guy in the parlance of, of, of Peter King, but he's clearly the best quarterback in Atlanta Falcons history, and I, the book is not complete on Matt Ryan by any means in Atlanta. I, again, they're kind of my sleeper team this year. I'd watch out for them. And then – in Carolina. Oh, Mace, you're too hard on your Tampa Bay Bucks. Come on, just, no. just, just give them some love. In Carolina, they had to deal with they had 
Cam Newton. So at, so for most of the last decade, the Bucks have looked around their division and seen three quarterbacks who were league MVPs mm-hmm. at some point. And, and they got the dud and mystery date with Jameis Winston. Of course, that being said, I think he'll get out of Tampa and do very well because that's just what quarterbacks do when they escape the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their history. That's how it is. But May saying all of that, how do you then not turn the conversation to the, the, the Bucs didn't just get an MVP. They got no. a Super Bowl MVP. They got the GOAT. I mean, <laughs> be positive. Enjoy, your, enjoy life the next two years with Tom. Well, I'm going to try to, but uh, <laughs> the bottom line is that I, when you think about where the Bucs stand, that's why they went to Tom Brady. It's a franchise that over the course of its existence has tried everything at quarterback. really has. So now they're trying to literally bring in the most accomplished quarterback in the history of the game. And it certainly helps that uh, you got Cam Newton having injuries and now he's out of the way, not there. But my point going back to the Broncos is that you do not want to be in a division where your three rivals have quarterbacks who at points in their career were league MVPs. And played at a relatively high level for a long time. So, I mean, for the Bucs in division play, they just had – there was no breathing room when your division games are against teams led by Drew Brees, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan. And that's why, if you're a Broncos fan, you do not want the Raiders (laughs) to have a star quarterback. You do not want Justin Herbert – to be a hit for the Chargers because if you have that scenario, the nightmare scenario where the Raiders have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert ends up being a big hit, unless Drew Locke is the equivalent of Patrick Mahomes, the Broncos, they're going to be in trouble. So if you've got three other quarterbacks who are very good to elite in the AFC West. So is Derek Carr actually the perfect quarterback to have in your division because he may be just good enough. And as we're finding out the past two years, he's been just good enough for John Gruden to stick with him. Maybe John Gruden had like a five-year plan to get rid of him. But right now, he's sticking with him kind of to the surprise of, honestly, everyone that he's stuck with him for now going on his third year. Is he the perfect guy? Because, like I said, he does give the Raiders a chance to beat the Chiefs, I guess, occasionally. Uh, But he's also not this unbeatable quarterback. And let's say... Uh, and people may be saying, no, 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 no. You want the Raiders to have Paxton Lynch, a total bust, so it's two easy games against you. Well, uh, when you get busts at quarterback, then you can flip through them easy. And let's say they did, they get Paxton Lynch after Paxton Lynch after Paxton Lynch. Don't you think with a top five pick every couple of years because their quarterback stinks that they're going to hit and they're going to get the Trevor Lawrence, that they're going to get a Kyler Murray, that they're going to get a Baker Mayfield, who then is just going to cause you fits? I mean, is Derek Carr the perfect quarterback that you want in the division? Do you want Justin Herbert to be Derek Carr? <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because Derek Carr doesn't, doesn't scare you. In fact, uh, you could say in some ways that Derek Carr is kind of a modern Chad Pennington. Uh, yes exactly in the last two years he's completed 69.6 percent of his passes boom and hasn't and has been steady reasonably productive 
but not spectacular by standards of 2018 and 2019. The only right. quarterbacks that have at least 350 attempts that have a higher completion percentage are Drew Brees and Kirk Cousins. Drew Brees, elite. Kirk Cousins, you know, he's, he's good at sometimes, not good at others. Derek Carr, he's just good enough to where you keep putting him out there. Right. But he is, on, ba- on balance, a, an unspectacular, slightly above-average quarterback. Right. And he, he is the Chad Pennington if Chad Pennington were to be consistent o- over yeah. a career because Derek Carr is consistent now. Yep. He has proven to be very good at times, so maybe you hope that that Derek Carr doesn't come up. But, man, Chad, Derek Carr could be the Chad Pennington that the Broncos need. <laughs> and, if, and if you've got a couple of Chad Penningtons elsewhere in the AFC West, okay, it could be worse. Now, you could say that it's, a, it's not a bad division quarterback-wise, but you're not talking about guys whose ceiling is MVP. The Bucks faced a scenario where literally the other three quarterbacks in their division, if they were at their best, played at an MVP level. Right. And if Justin Herbert and Derek Carr are kind of at the Chad Pennington <laughs> level, you're not worried about that. And so you'd take that because, fingers crossed, Drew Locke can be somebody who can push for an MVP at some point. I kind of – Matt Ryan kind of goes through my mind because if, if, if the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes slash Drew Brees and the Broncos have – Drew Locke, who's maybe a notch below, but he's like a Matt Ryan. That gives you a shot. Right. And that's what you're asking for, right? A shot, a chance to a chance to be competitive. The point where you're not looking at the Chiefs and saying, Oh my God, we're screwed. We have to play these guys every year. We're done. Matt Ryan, he has given the Falcons a legitimate shot against the Saints and Drew Brees. And oh, by the way, they've times been the better team in that division over the long haul so if true lock is matt ryan the broncos are going to have their share of success it's just a question of whether they maximize it i would argue the falcons didn't maximize it because they blew a 28 really in the super bowl and they squandered what i thought was their best overall team in 2012 by completely falling apart against the 49ers in the nfc championship game it's a matter of whether you capitalize and take advantage when you have those title shots And hopefully the Broncos, if they are the Matt Ryan Atlanta Falcons of the next decade, can do that. Yeah, great conversation, Mace. Absolutely loved it. Love it. it. Next next one coming in from Wildcard. Hey, fellas, I don't know if this question has been asked before, but have you guys considered doing a fantasy football-themed podcast? Being a huge fantasy football player, I would love to listen to something along those lines. I also have kind of a fun Broncos question for you as well. I'm a huge wrestling fan, so I was wondering what Broncos players you would think would make the best professional wrestler. Before, I probably would have said Derek Wolf. Me too. But now, I'm thinking more like AJ Johnson or even Drew Locke for his skills on the mic. Thanks for the content, fellas. Ya boy, wild card. Wild card! (laughs) Definitely would have been Derek Wolf. Um, AJ Johnson is a fantastic choice. Another one I'll throw in the ring, get it, is uh, I'll go Dalton Reisner. Don't well, hey, Dalton Reisner literally picked up Philip Lindsay and guided him to the end. <laughs> yes, yes, and didn't didn't he throw hogs 
um, yes. back at his home. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take Dalton Reisner. He's got the legendary backstory, too, which is something you're always looking for in a pro wrestler. <laughs> exactly. And then the farm-raised type of boy. <laughs> <laughs> the manning faced god hey guys yesterday my comment was skipped over oh i'm sorry about that sorry we missed that well good i wanted to say and if that ever yeah. happens guys it's not nothing personal just do do what the manning faced god did post it again yeah i wanted to say it was great to finally see mike shanahan get into the ring of fame i'm not going to lie before vic fangio's name was thrown in for the broncos head coaching position i was hoping that mike would get the job especially since there were so many rumors saying there was interest on both sides but I couldn't have been happier when we hired Vic. So my question is, you have these four Broncos teams, 1997, 1998, 2013, and 2015. They are arguably the best Broncos teams in team history. How would you rank these teams? For me, it'd be 1997 first, 2015 second, 98 third, and 2013 fourth. Hope you guys have a great day. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, Manning Face. God, that's a good question. That, that is a really good question, and I – just the easy one here is putting 2013 last because they didn't win a Super Bowl among these teams. And oh, gosh, what could have been, Mace? This could have been easily, in my opinion, the number one team on this list if it wasn't just absolutely decimated with injuries. But without a Super Bowl and the other three have Super Bowls, they have to go last. Right. And I would actually say I'm putting 2012 ahead of 2013. So. Mm. I'm actually and, and 2012 Even was a more complete offense? team. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, they were. They, it was. It was a top five team. defense. They they could shut people down when they had to, of course. And well, but they had to in the playoffs, and they didn't. But uh, uh, you know, Raheem, Raheem Moore and nine other things that had to go wrong in a specific order. And if you change any of them, the Broncos still win that game. So I'm gonna go for five teams that I'm going to rank and I'm going to throw the 2012 in there. Number one is 1998. That, yeah. that team was a buzzsaw. And even when John Elway got hurt, Bobby Brister stepped in and the train kept right on rolling to the station. Yeah. No drop off whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with uh, you there. 97 is right behind 98. Yep. I agree with you there. Then I'm actually going to say, because it was a complete team. 2012 wow. then 2015 then 2013 wow okay i i'm gonna keep the same list with you except i'm gonna go with the super bowl team in 2015 above above 2012 and oh man i know it's said often and i don't disagree with it that 2012 was the best team that peyton ever had in denver but I'm going to go with 2013 just because of how much fun that offense was. Record-setting offense. Neither of them won a Super Bowl. At least one of those teams got to the Super Bowl. So I'll go, I'll go uh, 2013 uh, above 2012. But the, the reason that 2015 comes in last for me among those Super Bowl teams was just how unbalanced it was. Uh, just how freaking good the defense was and – by the time, I mean, that season, Peyton Manning was bad, unfortunately. And I still would have welcomed him back for 2016 uh, just because of everything he is. But it was, a, it was a very one-sided team where I think 97 and 98 were, were, were way more balanced. Yeah, and, uh, and that's why 97, 98 were – I think they have to be the top two teams on this list. Yep, yep. They I, were exquisite teams and 98 in particular was just outright dominant 97 that team kind of hit a snag 
in December, but overcame it and, and did a wonderful job overcoming it. But yeah, 2015, by the end, I mean, that, the second half of Super Bowl 50, Peyton Manning was just hanging on. And my wife talks about being in the stands at the game and mentioning how everybody was getting nervous when Peyton Manning dropped back to throw in the second half because yeah. everyone seemed to kind of feel that he'd gone as far to the left of the slash in Seinfeld parlance that he could go. That was it. He was done. Yeah. Uh, his, his last season, by the way, it, he and Dan Marino had very similar last years of their careers. Dan Marino, his last season, had 12 touchdowns and 17 picks. Wow. But he found just enough in one playoff game to squeeze the Dolphins past the Seattle Seahawks. We'll forget the next game happened. The, the Dolphins lost 62-7 to to the Jaguars, and that was it for Dan Marino. Oh, 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 my goodness. Fortunately, it worked out a lot better because of that exquisite defense that the Broncos had. And also, the one thing that never failed Peyton Manning was his mind. And in the yeah. AFC Championship game, he audibles and gets the coverage that he wants. He gets a linebacker on Owen Daniels. Touchdown, touchdown. Yeah, boom. Man, I could relive the Peyton days every single day of my life. I absolutely love it. Same with Tebow days. Uh, but, Macy, you mentioned – uh, hitting a snag, and uh, I don't I don't know what that is the past few months because with Manscaped you never hit snags. There's no snags <laughs> to be had with the Lawnmower 3.0. It's the best razor out there. No snags, no nicks, no cuts. Only smooth, smooth sailing down there, guys. It truly is the best razor for any part of your body, especially below the belt. They spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. It's got a 90-minute battery life. It has advanced skin-safe technology, so there's no snags to be had anywhere on the body. It also has a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology all in one powerful packed razor and guys might i recommend the perfect package 3.0 which you get that lawnmower 3.0 and you also get the crop preserver which is an anti-chafing deodorant the crop reviver a spray-on toner and refresher it gives you a little pep in your step throughout the day and it comes with the travel bag disposable shaving mats and the comfiest set of anti-chafing boxers you've ever worn and if all of that wasn't enough Use the magical code DNVR20 for 20% off your online purchase and free shipping to make sure you have no more snags in your life. Check out Manscaped, DNVR20. Yeah, the only snags you want to have in your life are uh, you hit a snag on the golf course and uh, maybe you've got a case of the shanks. <laughs> Do well, you want that? Uh, you can live with it. You'd rather, have, true. you'd rather have a snag on the golf course than a snag when it comes to taking care of business south of the equator. <laughs> You're absolutely right. But if, if you have a case of the shanks in, in real life golf, you might do better at WGT golf, the most popular golf game in the world that you can play on any of your devices. I played on my iPad. It's the official gaming partner of DNVR. Make sure you download WGT and join the DNVR clubhouse too by going to dnvrgolf.com. Of course, DNVR Clubhouse 1 is full, so we set up that second clubhouse so you can 
be in all the same tournaments, have all the same fun that everyone over in the primary DMVR clubhouse is having. WGT Golf, it's the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world. You can play wherever you want. You can play it on your iPhone if you're on the go. I like to play on my iPad because I've got that bigger screen and you can actually see, really get a good glimpse of, of, of the courses you're playing. And it's so realistic. It's the next best thing to playing actual golf. You, it's, if you can't get out to some of these great courses, these world-renowned courses like Pebble Beach, the Ocean Course out at Kiowa Island, Beth Page, Black, St. Andrews, you know what? The next best thing is getting a chance to play these courses on WGT and get a glimpse of what the pros have to deal with. If you like playing Top Golf and you haven't been able to get out Top Top Golf lately, you can get the Top Golf experience with Top Golf Game Mode on WGT Golf. Make sure you check that out as well. And if you've got brands that you prefer, let's say you're a real golf, real life golfer and you like playing with 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 Callaway or TaylorMade. Well, you know what? They're there for you, so you can simulate the real golf experience as well as possible with WGT Golf. That is the official gaming partner of DNVR. Make sure you download WGT by going to dnvrgolf.com. I freaking love WGT. Now let's get back to our listeners. Next one coming in from Bronco Sooners, New York Rangers. My boys, we are vibing today. Crack a Breck Brew and sing it with me. Who are you? (laughs) Happy Thursday. Let's talk some Denver Broncos football. I'm damn proud to be a Denver fan. And PFM talking about Mike Shanahan going into the ring of fame is another reason why. More Peyton talk. I love this. How cool is it to say we have Peyton freaking Manning as an ambassador to our team. Whether he stays here forever or not, I will always appreciate how much time he spent around the team during their past few seasons. Here's hoping he stays forever. Go Broncos and apologies to back-to-back Peyton questions. I'm feeling particularly nostalgic with the Sheriff this week. Hey, we absolutely love it. Like I said, more Peyton, the better. Maybe we should have Peyton talk Thursday. Ah, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> All about it. Not man, that if he, Peyton... May- yeah, if he not becomes that the Manning owner. Shadow, yeah, not that Peyton Manning shadow is still lingering over the Broncos or anything. No, yes. certainly not. <laughs> Onion booty Bronco. What impact will another injury plague season for Bradley Chubb have on the Broncos' future plans? Love Onion booty. A ton. And I'm touching wood just talking about this, but I do think it's a very legitimate question when someone has two ACLs. Um, what happens if a third one comes around? I'm touching so much wood with this, but uh, if you lose a top five pick, that drastically changes your plans. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I would just say this, for example, let's say Bradley Chubb has an injury this year. Touch wood. I hope that doesn't happen. Yep. But if he does, then you get to the off season and pass rusher, a compliment to Von Miller becomes a high priority. Maybe you're talking about taking an edge rusher in the first round. Or maybe, and hear me out on this, Zach, if what Onion Booty is suggesting happens, if, he, if Chubb's injuries continue, maybe you get in the mix for Shaq Barrett if he can't come to a long-term deal with the Bucks oh, and bring man. Shaq back. That would be something it else. It would be pricey. 
Yes, yes. it certainly, certainly would be. And uh, I think Shaq would be, would be willing to come back if he's not able to get a long-term deal because he didn't leave on bad terms with the Broncos. He just said, I want a place where I can be a starter. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay provided that with him. And with the money the Broncos would, would have to pay him to bring him back, he would have no doubt that he would be a starter. Yeah, he still lives in Colorado. He lives down uh, in Highlands Ranch. He's still, he loves this state. He loves this place. It's home. It became home for him between his years at CSU and the Broncos. So now the Bucks, I think, would love to have Shaq Barrett locked up long term. And I think if we weren't in this pandemic, it's something that would be on track to happen. I think what's probably going to transpire over the next week is that Shaq will just sign the franchise tender and play on a one-year deal. If that's the case and you get to next year and nothing has happened long-term wise, God forbid you need to go get an edge rusher, then the Broncos could be in that mix. Yeah, they they could be. I also think that the Broncos, like you said, Mace could use a first round pick on getting Mm -hmm. one. John Elway has not been shy on doing that. Not just with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, but of course, Shane Ray as well. Uh, but the prob- and- the, sorry, I, I don't mean to interject, but the problem there is that that means you're not using it on tackle. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not a good situation by any means. Um, but I, or the Broncos could go out and spend big money on Shaq Barrett. I think John always always prioritized pass rushers, so that would be a huge priority. But Mace, I think this also changes the future plans by maybe giving a little more leeway to Von Miller. Maybe Von Miller doesn't need to have as good of a season. Uh, this year in order to stick around next year, even with a big cap hit. Uh, It'd be hard for me to see the Broncos going into next year without Bradley Chubb or, you know, a a very injured Bradley Chubb touching one again and no Von Miller. I just, I don't see that happening. So it's a tough question to ask, but Onion Booty, thanks for bringing it up. Yep. Count Locula, fans in the stands, we know indoor transmission is 20 times higher than outdoor. What do we do about dome-riddled teams? Are they then at disadvantage? Do they get to pump in noise, how loud, et cetera? Go common sense, go DMVR. Love the count. And those are all great points. It kind of harkens back to our first segment discussion regarding competitive balance and not having some teams have a competitive advantage over others. The teams that are hosed by this potentially, if they do say, okay, if you're fully enclosed, you can't open – those teams would be the New Orleans Saints and the Detroit Lions. Because at least at Minnesota, they have a fixed roof. But at Minnesota, they can open up both ends. Right. Or one end, or pardon me, one end of the stadium. So effectively, you can turn U.S. Bank Stadium into a shed almost. Or you can say if we're going at limited capacity anyway, they can go – uh, down to the University of Minnesota, where they have played some games over the years when, uh, while they were building U.S. Bank Stadium and after there was a, the accident regarding the roof in the Metrodome in 2010. So there, there are other options, Detroit's options, at least nearby Detroit, if they want. If, if the league said, okay, you can play at 20%, but the city of Detroit said, well, you can't get that many people in an enclosed space like Ford Field, they might have to, I don't know, trek out to Ann Arbor play at the University of Michigan? Who knows? You're going to say Antarctica. Wow, that'd be be quite the trek. I guess it would be outside. Um, In December, it might as well be Antarctica. (laughs) Well, that's for real. (laughs) Uh, I think the count brings up a good point. Maybe that's how the NFL allows some fans in some stadiums without, uh, even though if some stadiums can't have any fans, as they say, uh, each team can, you know, pipe in 
uh, however much sound uh, and just keep that universal. So even stadiums that do have fans, because it's not going to be a full capacity, will still be able to pipe in that same amount of sound or noise level. Uh, so that, that could be the way that the NFL says some stadiums have fans and others don't while also trying to maintain a competitive advantage. So very good point there, Count. Next one coming in yep. from the other, Ryan. My boys! There have been some great comments from DNBR members this week and from you all as always. I agree with that. Broncos Sooners New York Rangers comment and the ensuing discussion about the week one game against Buffalo in 2007, as well as Mike Shanahan's legacy, got me thinking about week two in the 07 season when Shanahan foiled the Raiders yet again with some Shanahan against shenanigans, but with Shanahan. I like nice. that. From the Associated Press, the crowd groaned, or the crowd groaned. The Raiders celebrated and Mike Shanahan smiled. The Denver Broncos coach may ne have never called a smarter timeout. Jason Elam's 23-yard field goal with 548 left in overtime gave the Broncos a 23-20 win over Oakland just minutes after the Raiders had exul er, exulted over what they thought was their own wild win. Sebastian Janikowski nailed a 52-yard field goal at 11:13 left with overtime. But as the Raiders rushed the field in celebration and many of the Broncos hung their heads in defeat, referee Walt Anderson ruled that Denver had called a timeout just before the snap. On the retry, Janikowski's high-arching kick hit the left upright, fluttering the flag atop the pole and giving the Broncos new life and the ball at their 42. They drove to the Oakland 6, and Elam, and Elam nailed it on first down, and the Raiders didn't bother calling their own timeout. They stole it from us, and we stole it right back, Elam said. I feel bad, Broncos safety John Lynch said, but not really. <laughs> A game that I will never forget, and as always, beep, the Raiders. DNB Army, <laughs> salute. Yeah, that's a good pull to have. Those first two games, winning them uh, on, on some coaching. And the thing I hated, though, about the Broncos-Raiders game and the tactic that Shanahan used is that coaches then started using that time and time again. And yep. it was the timeout that launched a million timeouts. <laughs> and the other thing that it did reveal though, is uh, it, re it, it revealed that some kickers are going to be a little bit more susceptible to being distracted by that timeout than others. I mean, I think Jason Elam later said that, if a team called a timeout like that, he regarded that as a, a positive. It's a practice swing. It's a chance for me to gauge the wind. And uh, he welcomed it. Sebastian Jankowski wasn't the type of kicker that obviously was going <laughs> to welcome it. The other thing about that, the Broncos were seven and nine that year, but it wasn't an especially strong seven and nine because you had the game against the bills, the game against the Raiders, the game against the Steelers, the Broncos won at 31-28, and a game against the Vikings that was won in, over, in overtime, they, you had four games that were won on Jason Elam kicks, and then they had a couple of games they lost in overtime as well. But that is a team that, if you go by the expected win-loss on pro football reference, which kind of goes off of uh, point differential, et cetera, that Broncos team that won seven games in reality, according to pro football reference, should have actually won 5.7 games. So should have won one or two games fewer than they actually did. Had a lot of blowout losses, and uh, because, of a, because of good form in close games, they were one, two, three, three and one, uh, three and two. 
four and two in games that were decided by by six points or fewer. Because of that, it's probably better than it should have been. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Man, in- interesting. Hip hip, you raise says, whoa, 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 whoa. Boys, all this talk about donuts earlier in the week, as no one has mentioned voodoo donuts. I thought Mace mentioned it. I thought I did too. I swear I heard you say that. Uh, yeah. Man, shake my head. Maybe it's just the inner child in me that likes the psychedelic effects of sprinkles, Fruity Pebbles, Captain Crunch, and bacon on my donuts. But man, they're good. Yeah, I Inner agree. child. Yeah, <laughs> and it makes me inner child because my actual child, my eight-year-old, loves voodoo donuts. <laughs> loves them. Yes. And loves the one with Fruity Pebbles on it in particular. Yes, yes. And Mesa, as we know, there, there's a newly opened one semi-close to both of our houses. Oh, yeah, that's right. I yes. still go to the one on Colfax, though. Yeah, kind of the OG feel, at least the OG yeah. Colorado feel. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you guys have talked a lot about the poten- potential increase in practice sizes as a way to help counteract the increase in COVID cases amongst players. Do the practice squad players make a decent enough salary to live comfortably off of, or do most of them have second jobs when they are not on the practice squad? Thanks a ton, guys. You rock. Eat a donut and go Broncos and go DNVR. Yeah, Um, yeah. well, the practice squad players do just fine. Like last year, for example, practice squad players made at least $8,000 a week. Now, if you're only on the practice squad for three or four weeks, you know, that's not going to necessarily tie you over. But if you're on a practice squad for all 17 weeks, sometimes you're going to get more than that. Like, for example, Kyle Sloter got much more than yeah. the league minimum for practice squad players to go sign with the Vikings back in 2017. So right. It, it depends on, on the player. But if you play a full season on a practice squad and you're making $8,000 a week, you multiply that by 17 because you're getting paid for each week. $136,000, you're doing more than fine. If you, play even, uh, if you play even eight weeks on a practice squad, you're getting, getting $64,000. Got to make sure you watch your money, but you can live off that pretty easily. Yeah, you can definitely live off of it very, very easily. Yes. There's no second jobs that need to be had. No, the, right. the thing with practice squad is you're definitely on the bubble. Um, and you're not guaranteed to be making that $136,000 for years on end by any means. So, um, but no, they don't have to have a second job. They get to focus just on football. They get to have an enjoyable, comfortable off season, but it is significantly less than the league minimum of, you know, half a million dollars. So it's a significant pay cut from those guys, but they're living just fine. And don't forget in the off season as well, a guy, I mean, they're not getting paid much, but guys are getting a paycheck uh, for off-season work, too, for showing up and be taking part in that. So right. That helps. Right, exactly. Canadian orange and blue chiming in. Wasn't, wasn't difficult for me this time around. He says, hey, guys, not a Broncos-related question, but will there be a Madden 21 PS4 league? And who do I contact? Thanks. Well, this is a question larger than me right now, so – uh, for the PS4 Madden League, will there be a Madden 21 League? Let your boy Can- Canadian Orange and Blue. I don't know why. I want to say Can- Canadian, but no, Canadian Orange and Blue. Help him out. Hook us up. Um, I know the Xbox League is trying to sort through all of that right now. If it's sticking with 20, going to 21. So uh, let- let- let's help everyone out in those leagues. Yeah, I think I know why you say why you say it the way you do because we say Canada 
Canada. Right. But it's right. can a it's can a ah, that's it. That is yeah. it, Mace. Thanks for helping me because I, I was I was losing my mind not understanding why I couldn't. Yeah, America American. Oh right. Sounds the same, right? Right, right. There we go. Man Japan Mace. Japanese. <laughs> I feel uh I feel drunk trying to say that and it's it's like I've been to Davidson's a little too much. Which Davidson's is a great place to frequent. <laughs> they have two locations, one in Centennial, one in Islands Ranch, guys. They're locally owned and have a massive selection, carrying our favorite Breckenridge brews, and they have so much knowledge and everything you could imagine to drink. Uh, and guys, supporting our partners is supporting us. So make sure to check out Davidson's for any of your needs. Their sales floor is back up and running, so you can go in there and scope out the massive selection that they have talk to the sales for people get get all of the knowledge that you need whether it's with beer wine or spirits they have it all might i recommend the delicious 15 can brex sampler that they have uh they are of course still doing delivery so make sure to download their app to see all the incredible deals that they have right on your phone and sign up for their loyalty program that's davidson's one in centennial one in highland ranch well mace this was this was a blast of a podcast sometimes you know, we need to get through the nitty gritty to let you guys know where the NFL stands. We did that in the first segment. And then you guys came through with some awesome questions, sparked some fun debate. Uh, glad to find out that Derek Carr is the Chad Pennington of the AFC West, except uh, a, the, the good Chad Pennington to help take down those Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, it was a blast, Mace. I absolutely loved rolling with you. Thank you all so much for rolling with us today. We'll be back with you tomorrow for a fired up bum talk Friday edition of the DNVR Broncos podcast. But for today, that'll do it. So for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Thank you all so much for rolling with us and have a fantastic Thursday.